0: So start out reading for us. Mark four twenty-six to 32, says this. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the gospel of Mark and the time that we've got to spend in it uh, over the past months, and God, we're thankful for the opportunity to um, proclaim this unto ourselves this morning, uh, to encourage our hearts with truth from your scripture, and Lord, we pray that you would um, deposit truth deep in our soul. Um, Lord, in the Psalms, David cries out unto his soul, why are you downcast, O my soul? Take your hope and trust in the Lord. And so today, in in song and in word and in prayer, we are speaking to our soul and telling it to believe in the truth that Christ has died for our sin and that it reigns no longer inside of us and we stand victorious in his kingdom. So God, I pray that as we work through uh, these scriptures, you would encourage our hearts and strengthen us to have greater faith in you and, lo- and lose ourselves in this world and trust you with all that we are. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> uh, David Livingstone is a famous explorer. Anybody know who David Livingstone is? No. No, I David Livingstone. We got a kind of, we got a maybe. He is David Livingstone. David Livingstone is David Livingstone. Okay, cool. Um, So David Livingstone lived in the 1800s, he's from Scotland, Uh, was a famous explorer and he set out with the express purpose in his life to identify the source of the Nile River, which seems really weird to us since we've got like satellites and stuff, you know, but at one time they didn't have satellites and, right, crazy, but it's true, Um, and you actually had to go See things with your eyes and identify things by being next to them. And so a great mystery for thousands of years was how in the world does the Nile have its strength? Because in the middle of a desert, a Nile is flowing from south to north into the Mediterranean. People didn't know why it was so strong. And so for thousands of years, people wondered, where is this Nile? And so he set out with the purpose to find the source of the Nile river. He lived 60 years. His life quest in his career was to identify the source of the Nile river. I love that you're right here, Claire. This is awesome. Um, uh, Really getting a new perspective here. This is great. Um, I'm sorry if I yell at your face, Claire. Okay, all right. So he set out with this purpose in his life, with, with all that, the, uh, that he'd learned in school, he decided that this is, the, this is the thing he is going to go and do, the thing he wanted to be known for. And so he purposed to do that, find the source. He proposed a source of the Nile River to be south and west of the Nile, in the Congo River region, actually, is where he put the source. He was wrong. He he was like soon after proved to be inaccurate. Someone actually found the proper source of it, which is like Lake Victor, both Lake Victoria from the White Nile and another Lake Lake Albert, I think, from the Blue Nile, and they converge and then make the Nile, etc. His whole quest of his career, he failed. Like his career goal didn't do it. Right? It's hard. Um, But he said this of the effort, because that's what he told the world he's going to go find the source of the Nile. But he said this of his effort. He said, the Nile sources, he told a friend, are valuable only as a means of opening my mouth with power among men. It is this power with which I hope to remedy an immense evil. You see, uh, David Livingstone wasn't just an explorer. He was that but he was also an abolitionist, and he was also a missionary. He sought the achievement of finding the source of the Nile, which I don't even, whatever, you know, I don't have a context for that being a career goal. But he sought that achievement with the expressed purpose to speak the gospel and advocate for the abolitionist movement in society. And now, after he's passed away, there are more than 30 historical sites hospitals, schools dedicated to David Livingstone on the continent of Africa alone. In addition, there are more than 30 other sites throughout every continent in the world dedicated to David Livingstone. He failed. He failed his career goal, right? His career goal, he failed. But the truth is, that wasn't ever his goal. That was his career purpose, but it wasn't what he cared about the most. He's quoted saying once this, and I've got this quote, yeah. Um, You might have read it already. I will place no value on anything I have or possess unless it is in relationship to the kingdom of God. He, He may have failed to identify the correct source of the Nile River, but along the way, every spot he stopped, he created a missionary station in which he sought to provide for the needs of those that were in the area and also proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He very much succeeded in his life. Today we're talking about the kingdom of God. Um, and we've been in this, we've just finished up Mark, and we're taking a few weeks to recap Mark under the three headings of Jesus' gospel message, the good news that Jesus preached, which is the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. These are the three things that when Jesus taught, this is what he taught, okay? So, last week, Luke looked at how Jesus fulfilled the name of the Son of Man, and particularly the uh, messianic prediction of the suffering servant to die on a cross for the sins of the world. And so, we talked about the fulfillment that Jesus walked in uh, in his life. Today, we're looking at another thing that he said, which is the kingdom of God is at hand, it is here, it is in our presence. It it, it may not look like it to you because it's a coffee shop with a bunch of lights that are busted out and a wall that's falling over and and coffee that we just learned to do on the fly and like all this. But I'm telling you, you have to wake up. I love that song that Marcus sung. We have to wake up to the reality that the kingdom of God is present in this place. We have to yield to this truth that the kingdom of God is at hand. It cannot be measured in the way that men measure kingdoms, and the Gospel of Mark records this fact clearly throughout Jesus' words. Jesus said, Mark 1:15." he said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the Gospel. We're going to walk through a handful of passages, and I'm sorry if it's scattered, because yeah, I have no idea, but... I think we've got a general outline we're going to work through, and hopefully you guys can grab some nuggets here as we work through it. Um, So first I want to point out two things that come in the Gospel of Mark that speak about kingdoms. They speak about general kingdom principles, okay? So two general kingdom principles that are addressed during Jesus' ministry. The first is this, and this is a statement from Jesus in Mark 3, 24. He says uh, that that kingdoms require unity. That's what he says. If a kingdom is going to last, it requires unity. He says this if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. This is just a general principle. He's not talking about just the kingdom of God, okay? He's just talking about life, okay? If you have a business and you want to make money with that business, you want it to succeed, you have to have a clear vision for how it's going to serve its customers, how it's going to earn money from those customers, in order that that said business can pay all of its employees and hopefully have a profit for the people who started that business. The employees of that company have to be so committed to this work that they may even be willing to let let their opinions go for the sake of receiving their paycheck on a regular basis. Okay? That's just facts. Okay? You might have worked a job. Anybody ever work a job they disagreed with the leadership? Anybody? No? 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 Okay? Yeah? Okay. Sure. Whatever. Snarky. Snarky Hattie. Ever been in a house where you had opinions that were different than your parents? Okay, no yeah. right. let's not go there. Okay, let's not go there. Um, for a business to succeed, you have to have a very unified vision that you're going to chase after. For a marriage to thrive, you have to be aligned on most everything. Where, where do we want to live? How many kids do we hope to have? How should we, who's going to balance the budget? How should we spend on housing and eating out? Where should we go to church? Disunity on any of these things requires sacrifice, submission, and compromise, Otherwise, the marital unity is disrupted. For a country to exist and not fail, we don't have to agree, okay? We, thankfully, we don't have to agree on everything. But we do have to make room for diversity of opinion, find ways to live peaceably under an agreement to disagree. If we're unsuccessful in that quest, we will resort to violence with our opinions and our country will surely fail. Jesus' words are true. If a kingdom is divided against itself, it will fall. That's not kingdom of God wisdom. That's just wisdom. So first he says this. The second thing that, um, that is pointed out in the Gospel of Mark is this. That the kingdom of man, as opposed to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of man always serves the desires of man. There's no way around it. If you are serving yourself, you're going to serve yourself. If your kingdom is about yourself, you're going to serve yourself. The kingdom of man will always be subservient to man's desires. In uh, Mark chapter 6, there is the story about John the Baptist and how John the Baptist was killed. And it says this in verses 21 to 24. It says, an opportunity came when Herod, uh, with Herod on his birthday. He gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Right? Herod was willing to give up half of his kingdom because of the pleasure he found in his lustful heart right? Herod had a great kingdom. He had great authority. He was willing to sacrifice half of his kingdom to this girl because of the desires of his heart. He is servant to his own desires within his own kingdom. The kingdom of man will always serve the desires of man. And just to be real upfront and honest and open with all of you, I will testify that I myself was under the same grip as Herod at one point in my life, the same grip of lustful desire, that powerful fleshly desire. But praise be to God through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've been freed from that for decades. So I say to you now that the desires of your flesh will demand all of your life if you chase them. No matter how much you gain in life, you will be found with much regret and lacking if you serve the kingdom of man. These are the general principles of kingdom mindset. Jesus also speaks of the principles of the kingdom of God. He says in a number of places, we've got, we've got four verses, four passages to look at here. First this, um, and this is kind of, and I don't really know if this is in the right order, but whatever. I've got four things to look at. The first is this, the kingdom of God is received by few. He says to his disciples, in Mark 4:11, and he said to them, "To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables." And he was just referring to the sowing of the seed and how some seed fell on the road and some seed fell in the weeds and some seed fell in the rocks and some seed fell in fertile 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 soil. And Jesus says to them, "Listen, you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear." and many do not have them. He's not saying, you got it and you don't. He's just saying, you got to be aware that generally speaking, we are missing it with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is received by few. The disciples have been given this secret. God has given this secret to the disciples as they're following. Jesus says, others are just hearing in parables, I am explaining it to you, my disciples. I'm telling telling you what these things mean. The second kingdom principle um, is this, that the kingdom of God is shared with all. Mark 4, 26-29, which is what we started out reading, said this. He said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts, it, puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. God is a sower of the kingdom of God, and he sows indiscriminately. Just like we look at how God is sowing, and we have no idea how it works. We just are faithful to sow the seed, sow the seed, sow the seed, and pray that God will do a work in the midst of it. We don't know how it works. We just know how to recognize when the harvest has come. If you go sow a seed of wheat out in a field, you do nothing to produce wheat out of that. You just watch it grow over time with water and whatever, right? And it comes up and you're like, okay, it's ready. It's time to cut it. That's what it is. And Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God as one where he just sows it everywhere. He's not methodically putting it in places. He's just giving it out to all. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is shared with all who will hear. And it's left undefined to our ears what that is. It's above our heads. You should not even spend time thinking about which is in and which is out. You just need to know God is saying, you all need this. You all can have this if you would just come before the Lord Jesus Christ. He is indiscriminate in inviting the masses unto himself. This is the kingdom of God. Third, this is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God provides for all. Mark four thirty to 32, and he said, With what power, or with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of the seeds in the garden or in the earth. Um, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes much larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Something so small, just a small little seed becomes one of the biggest plants of a garden, right? And birds come and feed on it. It gives shade to the other plants so that they they can grow. The kingdom of God is a place of provision for all those who will come unto its shade. All those who say, yeah, I see the seed that the Lord is planting in my heart and I see the root of where it is and I'm going to go to it. I'm going to sit under the shade of the kingdom of God. I'm going to provide, I'm going to eat from its fruit. Finally, Jesus says of the kingdom of God in chapter 9, verse 1, speaking to his disciples and saying, you know, listen, he's been preaching about how the kingdom of God is at hand. And like specifically, the kingdom of God is at hand in the person of Jesus Christ in his ministry. He's going about throughout his ministry healing people of sickness, casting out demonic forces, and proclaiming healing to those who are broken. That's what he's doing, like everywhere he goes, right? That's what's happening with him. And he says to his disciples, as they're watching him do these things, right, like walk on water and multiply food and all this kind of stuff, he says, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. He says to his disciples, there is going to be a switch that happens, and the kingdom of God is going to come with power. We understand that power to have been after Jesus resurrected from the grave, right, like dead, buried three days in the grave, raises to life, and comes and speaks to the disciples that this is what I was telling you all along. I've defeated death, and now I'm leaving. I'm going to ascend to heaven. I'm going to go, and I go that I might send Holy Spirit to you, That Holy Spirit would take up residence in you. That your life could now be a place of the presence of the kingdom of God. He tells his disciples there's coming a day when the kingdom of God is going to come in power. It'll be received by those who will receive it. And they'll walk in the power of the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. In a few verses, we see here what it is to enter the kingdom of God. How do we do it? How do we enter the kingdom of God? We've seen kind of general kingdom principles. We've seen kingdom of God principles, right? That it's power, that it's provision, uh, that it's God's presence among us, okay? But now we're going to see how do we enter this kingdom? How do, we, how do we go from just a seed thrown on a rocky soil to one that is actually in fertile soil and grow up, Right? Because the parable is just a parable for your heart, right? The parable of the seeds and sowing is just a parable for your heart. It's not like you throw the seed and like you never have a chance because you're on rocky soil. Sorry, sucks for you, right? No, it's a parable of your heart. If you will listen to the seed, right, your heart can change. That's the crazy thing. I don't know how God changes hearts. I don't understand that, but he's the one that does it. Okay? He can take your soil from one that is rocky to make it soil that is fertile. He's the one that does that. None of us can do that. If any of y'all spouses tried to change your other spouses, guess what? You know you can't change their heart. You can't do it for them. Their heart has to change. Okay? And God has to do that work. And so Jesus speaks to this about how it is that we could enter the very kingdom of God in a number of ways. He says this Mark 9 47. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. Right? Jesus says, listen, if something is keeping you from obeying the Lord Jesus Christ, then it'd be better for you to just take that out of yourself entirely and still be with the Lord than to keep it and and coddle it and treasure it and not enter the kingdom. If something has caused a stumbling block for you in walking and following Jesus, then do everything you possibly can to root it out and remove it completely. Does he expect people to go around like gouging out their eyes? No. Again, it's a parable to say this is the length to which you should go to pull out sin from your life and its effect. You should, as if you're ripping out an eye, that's how much you should tear it out from you. This is what it means to enter the kingdom of God. It's uh, reminded me of Hebrews 12.1, which a lot of things do because I'm a favorite verse, but anyway. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1, which says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We have to lay aside the sin that clings closely. Okay, we all know this. Sin. I don't know what the sin pattern you've ever struggled with. I'm sure nobody perfect in this room. And I've already testified that I haven't been perfect in this room. So, like, I know we've all struggled with stuff. So whatever that sin pattern is that you have struggled with in your life, God is saying, man, if you expect to walk in the power of the kingdom of God, then root it out. Remove it. It, I know, the, the writer of Hebrews says, I know it clings closely. I understand that it is hard. But tear it out that you might get your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. To enter the kingdom of God, we lay aside the sin which clings so closely. Second one I want to touch on is Mark ten twenty three to 25. I'm, I'm skipping one in the order there, guys, just so you know. Um, and it says this, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Again, thinking about Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, If you're blessed with a lot of things, God has entrusted you to steward those things. And Jesus is saying to the world, to the kingdom of man, it is very difficult for the kingdom of man to see the kingdom of God. Because they're caught up with the kingdom of man and what is in front of their face right here and chasing wealth and chasing success and chasing power and whatever it is, right? If you looked at David Livingstone's life from the outside, you'd say he didn't achieve his goal. But power, in and of itself, was not his goal. His goal was to be in a position to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, right? And to free the slaves from captivity, literally. That was his true purpose. His desire for prestige was only a means to that purpose. And So Jesus says, it is difficult if you are rich, to enter the kingdom of God because you're caught up with what you see. You're measuring your bank account. You're measuring how you can keep that cash flow going in the right direction. You're measuring how many people depend on you and you're patting yourself on the back for all those achievements. And it is so easy to find our um, validation and our value in those things that we see. But Jesus says it is difficult for those who are rich, to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so you have to be just as determined as you are to rip out sin from your eye, right? If you are rich, to say, I am not serving wealth, I am serving God. I am not serving wealth, I am serving God. Because you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus also says that. Finally, to enter the kingdom of God, you have to do so like a child. Mark 10:14 to 15, um, we'll go back a little bit, um, says this, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. If we are not willing to be children in our acceptance of what God is doing, then we will reason our way away from faith. So that doesn't make sense, and that doesn't make sense. I mean, how can God, how can Jesus both be fully God and fully man? That doesn't really logically make sense. How can God be Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one? How, it just doesn't make sense. You know, God just doesn't make sense to me. God doesn't care about what makes sense to you, okay? He took nothing and created everything, okay? There wasn't anything, and then there was everything. That's what happened. So, if you've got an explanation for that, science would like to know, and so would we. But we don't. We just keep pushing back the timeline and expanding the number of universes that exist in order to increase the probability that we might have, by chance, existed. I'm sorry, but I think, Jesus is right. If you're going to enter this kingdom, you have to enter it like a child. You have to look at what is and go, looks like those people are serving themselves and turning to dust. Maybe there's something more to life. You have to enter the kingdom of God like a child. As Jesus was wrapping up his ministry, um, there are people watching what was happening and he's gaining popularity and as he comes we get to the triumphal entry people are singing his praises and they're following him into the city in the last week of his life and you know this verse what he's saying mark 11:10 says blessed is the coming kingdom of our father god now the crowds were singing blessed is the coming kingdom of our father david hosanna in the highest the kingdom of god is not the kingdom of man. The crowds looked at Jesus as an opportunity to rise as Israel and put off Rome from captive, captivating them, right? Controlling them. And they saw Jesus as the means to that. So they said, yes, Jesus, you are the, kingdom, you are the, you are the coming kingdom of our father David. They misread it completely. They thought Jesus was here to reestablish Israel as a country. He was here to defeat death in the grave, which is far better and far more lasting. What they cried out was just for a lifetime worth of achievement. Yes, we want the king that will restore Israel. Yes, we want that to happen. Guess what? Israel was gone for a long time, right? 1900 years of gone. The kingdom of God is not the kingdom of man. They're separate things. Another man came to him in his last days in Mark 12, verse 28 to 34. It says this, One of the scribes came up to, up and heard him disputing with another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said he is one and there is no one, no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. said you are right you judge the kingdom of God correctly scribe when he heard him answer wisely he said you are not far from the kingdom of God and after that no one dared to ask him another question what did the scribe get right the kingdom of God is not about what we can give but rather about the heart of why we are giving the kingdom of God, God, does, He does not delight in the endless sacrifice of animals. Okay, that is a picture to show how dirty and ugly and broken our sin is. And the need for holiness that is required for, for animals to be slaughtered to show. Like this is what it means for you to have separated yourself from a living and holy God. This is the cost of that. I'm going to show you that for thousands and thousands a year. And then in fulfillment, my son Jesus is going to come and once and for all give a sacrifice for all who would receive it like a child himself. And he's fundamentally going to show us that it has never been about what we have to offer a holy and all-powerful and all-knowing God and creator. Is never been about what we have to give to Him. Nothing we can give is enough. It is always about Him coming to our heart and saying, I love you. I care for you. I want the best for you. In every single situation, I am with you in every single circumstance. I've felt it from the very beginning of the earth. Would you enter the kingdom of God and trust me, the Creator, with your life? That has been his plea. He doesn't care how much money you give to a church. He doesn't care how much time you spend in its doors. He doesn't care about whether you were on your devotional life every single day of your life. Okay? He cares about your heart being submitted to the Lord Jesus who died for you. This is the kingdom of God. So the scribe... Was close. The kingdom of God is at hand, and we're going to go with a few things. There's three more verses from the book of Mark that speak about the kingdom of God, and they're all kind of in the conclusion of his ministry as he's looking forward. Uh, to his death on the cross. The first is this, um, and now he's like speaking about beyond his time. He says this in Mark thirteen eight. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. The kingdom of God is destined for conflict. Or sorry, the kingdom of man is destined for conflict. The kingdom of man is destined for conflict. Jesus is saying this. He's looking forward to the time ahead of him and saying, Listen, what's coming after I leave is more of the same. You know, Rome controlling Israel. Right? Uh, Russia fighting with Ukraine. Uh, America going to other countries and fighting in those countries. Like, all these things, nation against nation, it hasn't stopped. It started from the beginning of the foundation of the earth, and it hasn't stopped. Thousands of years, this is the kingdom of man. It is destined for conflict with one another. But Jesus is calling to you. He wants you to enter the kingdom of God. And this is the cost. Nothing. Another Scottish missionary explorer said this. Henry Drummond is his name. He only lived 45 years um, and did some amazing things in Africa also. Uh, he said this, the entrance fee into the kingdom of God is nothing. The annual subscription is all we possess. So I want to say to you that um, the kingdom of man is destined for conflict. Like I said earlier, like, if you expect, you know, unity in any effort that you have, whether it's marriage or business or, uh, or whatever it may be, whatever endeavor you have in your life, if you expect it to succeed, you have to have a unified kingdom. And conflict is just a given in our life, okay? And so you, you're going to have to get with the Lord in this life and, and on your knees be asking him, Lord Jesus, at what point do I sacrifice all I have in these circumstances, Right, you're going to walk through conflict with your kids, with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your friends, with your family, extended family, all these things. Okay, and at some point, you're going to have to take on the position of Jesus, the disposition of Jesus, and give all you are, and just say, "I trust you, God. I trust you with my life, and I trust you with my circumstances." And instead of fighting for my power in this conflict, I am going to sacrifice so myself that unity might prevail. You're going to come in conflict in this life. I guarantee it. Many of you are in it. We're all walking through stuff. Okay, But the key is to humbly submit to the pattern of Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, crucified the flesh, crucified the desire for building up self, and rather gave himself on behalf of those who were enemies To him. Okay. If you expect conflict to resolve, then you have to take the advice of Jesus and love your enemies. There's going to be conflict. Do we love our enemies in conflict? That's hard. That's real hard. Because we are caught up with man-centered desires. And so when we see an enemy, we fight or we run or we, whatever it is, right? instead of bowing before the throne of Jesus and interceding on behalf of the one who is our enemy. This is the disposition we ought to take. Conflict is going to come. Jesus told us, and we have eyes to see, right? (laughs) And hearts to feel. Um, When conflict comes, the annual subscription of following Jesus is to give everything you are to lay it down just as Jesus laid it down, to die to yourself and to bury your flesh in the ground and rise in the resurrection power of Jesus that you might love people like Jesus loved people. That's number one. Number two, there's new wine in this kingdom. Jesus said, Mark 14, 25, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus told his disciples, listen, something is about to shift. Okay? And that shift is that I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And I'm not going to drink of this juice, this wine, until I have given myself on a cross and rise, rose, risen from the grave. The kingdom has come in power to those who will trust in Jesus and follow the good news of the gospel. Finally, near the end of Jesus' life, um, or after Jesus was buried, uh, Mark 15, 43, it records, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who, al- who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage... And went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Could you imagine being a follower of Jesus um, and like watching his life for three years, watching the kind of skyrocketing uh, crowds start following him? I mean, three years, right? He garnered a crowd that will want to make him king. Three years. That's all, that's all it took. Like, could you imagine that? level of excitement and activity and power and like watching that and then see him tried for blasphemy and killed on a cross and buried in a grave. Could you imagine being the person that took him off the cross and placed him in the grave? This is Joseph of Arimathea. He didn't stop believing that Jesus was up to something. He didn't know what it it was He didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But he was looking for the kingdom of God. And he knew something about Jesus was going to happen. I don't know if he even knew it was going to happen in three days. He might have thought that was some sort of metaphor if he heard about that that statement or prophecy. right? He didn't know what was going to happen. He just knew that I've heard about this Jesus. I've watched this Jesus. and, And I'm going to take him and put him in a grave and make sure he gets a proper burial. I've been following the kingdom of God. It says... He was looking for the kingdom of God. I have to challenge you that we've got to have eyes to see and ears to hear that the kingdom is present in our lives, okay? God did something funny to me this week and I shared it with a couple people this week, but um, I found it very funny. Uh, it It was a nice reminder to slow down, yeah, to slow down, yeah, um, no, no wreck, no recs, no, 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 no tickets, no tickets, no tickets, no rec, thankfully, None of that. but um, I'll tell you the story, this is what happened, it's just a comedy of things, sitting in the coffee shop, one of my baristas, who's in charge of our procurement, forgot to order something, and so we were short vanilla syrup, tragedy, strikes, Yo, no one's going to eat their vanilla latte, what are we going to do? Right? Um, So someone, we're out of vanilla. For a week, we're going to be out of vanilla. So I got to look up, where do we get the vanilla? Call my restart, are you back from lunch? You know, I I text him, like, hey, if you're not back from lunch, please stop at the food service center, grab the Monin vanilla syrup so we can continue to serve vanilla syrup to our raging fans, you know? Because it would be bad if we ran out. But as I texted, he walked up. And I was like, "Ah, shoot. So I'm like thinking in my head, okay. And do I give him my card to let him go do the errand because i got all these things I need to take care of that I was expecting to do today once he got back so I could take care of the stuff. And I realized, oh, i got to like, go to the bank too. Oh, yeah. I'm going. You know, dang, my, my day is interrupted. And so feverishly, I come over here to the coffee shop, to the other coffee shop from the other one, and I'm getting cash out of the drawer to take the, take the bank. And as I get here, like someone I hadn't seen forever was over here, so I'm chatting with them for a little bit, no big deal, okay, whatever. Grab the, grab the money, start to head out. Head out, Driving, and I can't tell you the number of times, like, this is normal, Florida traffic, okay, Florida traffic's normal, right? It's, it's crazy out there, there's a lot of cars, it's crazy. We all get that, um, and so some of that was happening. I was like, no big deal, just Florida, no big deal. Florida being Florida, it's not a problem. Um, And so I get to the bank. As I walk up to the bank, or drive up to the bank, I get behind one car. I'm like, sweet, there's one car at the ATM. Yes, it's going to be fast. No big deal. I'm going to get back to my day. Guy puts his card in, right? And I'm like, OK. And then guy opens door of said car and gets out of his car. And I'm like, OK, why is he getting out of his car? Machine ate his card. The ATM ate his card, right? And so he, instead of driving away, which is basically like what you do because it just going to, when it eats your car, just chop, just public service announcement. <laughs> when your card gets eaten, it's not coming back. No, it's not coming back. And no one in the bank can help you. You got to call the number on the ATM if you want and just let them know and they'll start issuing you your card. But you, you can't do anything about it. So you, what you ought to do for those lovely patrons behind you is drive away. But he got out of his car and he walked past all the line of three cars and said, hey, Jay, hey my car, da da and walked into the bank. I'm like, oh, my so all of us, like, filter around, drive away, right? So I'm like, okay, first I'll check the other ATM, no way, not a chance, so many people. Get to Gulf to Bay, about to turn on Gulf to Bay, Florida being Florida again, you know, whatever, no big deal, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's okay, We're go- it's going to be fine, I'm, you know. Finally get onto the road. And there's a guy crossing the street, crossing in the turn lane. I'm like, walking. I'm like, it's not, I got to go left. I got to get across there. You know, you're in, you're in the thing. So I'm like, fine, go down another. So I go down another turn. I'm like, I got to turn here, which is great. Gave me good memories of Yelvington. So it's like, it's Jared and Amber's spot. So I'm like, oh, this is their street. This is fun, fine. As I'm about to turn, I'm looking at three lanes of traffic across me, coming at me, right? No big deal, there's a semi-truck, just the truck, not the trailer, okay, and it is on turtle mode. It is, it is no, no lie, three-quarters of a mile away from me, so I'm like, no big deal, he's going slow, but all this traffic's going to get by in time for me to like get in front of said turtle truck, okay? Because I'm not kidding, it couldn't have been going more than three miles an hour, like no lie. It was, uh, it, I, there's like a mode, that a crawl mode I think it is, that these trucks get into, and they can't go any faster. They just got to, they just crawl, and hopefully they make it to a place that someone can help them with the truck, basically. And so he's crawling, and I'm like, no big deal. All this traffic's going to pass. There was no gap. I literally had to wait for the turtle truck to slowly go by, and I'm just watching him going, what is happening today? <laughs> so finally, then more traffic comes. And I finally turn, and I'm like, Lord, like what? And he's like, Right? Chill. The <laughs> Chill. Mar the Martha. Martha, the. why are you so worried? Right? So finally get to the store and get my things, go to the aisle and this guy. I've never been behind So a guy with so many boxes at GFS. I literally <laughs> never have. He had two cartons of boxes, okay? He's going through all of them. They're scanning, 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 scanning. The last box to scan is under the cart, right? And I can see with my eyes the barcode on the box, on the side facing all of us, right? It's right there I'm like that's the last one after that i get to go this is it this is my chance they looked at every side of the box and did not find it and then finally went you know sweet lady went to the machine and started typing in the number you know and i'm going okay lord i'm sorry i'll just chill you know i'm just like whatever all this is going through my mind get up to the register, and I um, was convicted by this real quick because uh, she said, you're Blake. I'm like, how do you know me? Like, I had no idea. It was Miriam. Steve's sister, Miriam. Yeah, I have my Restoration Cafe shirt on, and uh, Miriam, uh, who's, Uh, whose brother was a preacher in Dunedin for a long time and has since passed away and a very tragic story, okay, um, uh, was there at the register and said hi and he said, oh yeah, I heard you preach a couple times at Cornerstone when you were there Um, and I got to talk to her and ask her how she was doing and she's doing good. She's at Calvary. She's great. And um, so anyway, she's so sweet. She's just there doing her job, you know, and Uh, So I was real convicted, real quick. You know, as I'm going back to the store or back to uh, the cafe, like, open your eyes, dude. You know, like, open your eyes. You mean like we we've, we've got to get it in our heads, okay? This world is moving faster than your soul or mind or body is supposed to comprehend. You are getting information in at a speed that you are not made to get information in. You are driving a vehicle so much faster than your body was intended to go. And why? All for the pursuit of the kingdom of man. Am I saying that we all got to run away and go be Amish? I'm not saying that, okay? The Lord put us in the world to be in the world. But I got to tell you, open your eyes, slow down, and look around. The very kingdom of God that Jesus died on behalf of, died to establish, is right in your midst. I gotta have more grace for this. And you gotta have more grace for this. God has told us what he cares about in his word. He has given us the revelation of how, what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm telling you, he has put people and things around you for the purpose that you and them might grow closer and hear the words of the kingdom of God. And so I challenge you, I'm sorry if this sermon has been long and guided in different directions, but I challenge you this week, slow down, slow down, open your eyes. God is not done doing what is right in your life. It may not look like that at all, okay? You might look at your circumstances and go, God, where are you? Get the truck out of the road, right? You might be saying that to him right now about something. But guess what? He knows how fast the truck needs to go <laughs> to get you where you're supposed to be. And so I just challenge you, God is not done with what he has called good. Good. And so if you, if you want to walk in the kingdom of God, it's going to look like this. Go back. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that is set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is sat down at the right hand of God Almighty. The kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus said that after he rose from the dead, it would come Empower. Okay. If you care about seeing the kingdom of God come, then you've got to let go of the kingdom of man. Uh, I don't know this guy, I don't have a story on this guy, Alan Redpath, but he said, Before we can pray, thy kingdom come, we must be willing to play, pray, my kingdom go. Before we can pray, thy kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, my kingdom go. So let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on Earth as it is in Heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Lord, we're so grateful for this time. We're thankful that you saw fit to put this group of people in this room and that whoever's listening in the internet webs or whatever also. And so we're thankful for what you're doing here. And we recognize that your power, we can't measure it. It may look real weak, It may look feeble, but God, your kingdom is moving in power in this very room, in this place, among these people at this church. And so God, we submit to you. We recognize there are so many things going on in our hearts, in our families, in our jobs, and we submit to you, Lord Jesus, our life. We set aside this time to say, not my will be done, thy will be done. God, take my kingdom away. Give me your kingdom every single day of my life. It is moving in power, and it's all we want. So God, I pray, bless our time. Bless the preaching of your word. May it be challenging unto our hearts. Bless the singing of these songs. May they stir our souls. Bless the prayers that we have today. May they be heard by your ears, not by our merit, but by the merit of Jesus Christ the Son. In his name we pray. Amen.